the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the Tiger? It is a great night to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rush down the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he caught it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is Monday the 15th. You are tuned into Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Good morning, gentlemen. How was your weekend? It was a great weekend. I actually got to make my way back down to my alma mater at Concord. And How was that? Got to, it was fantastic. Ticker tape parade? <laughs> yeah. Did, did they retire your number? Sadly, no. They did not retire my uh, 1442 bib for uh, cross country <laughs> at, at Concord. But it was crazy because there's only five guys on the guys team now I was gonna, from when mm-hmm. I graduated just a couple years ago. I was going to say, did uh, cause you're, you're getting to that age now, yeah. Parker, where you go back to school and you, you're the old guy coming in, you know, maybe partying with his old guy buddies at the bar, right? Did you feel like that yet? Yeah, it was it was like that. There's there's only five guys, and then one of our guys he's doing like he's only running track, and then another one of the guys who I came in with he's actually the GA now, so he's on the coaching staff. So that was kind of a oh gosh moment. But yeah, it was awesome to see uh, my old coach, and he he mentioned when we uh he was like yeah I listened to your interview when you had Coach Walker on. I was like oh thanks Coach, I appreciate your support. Nice. So yeah, it was pretty fun. And then the main thing is I want to ask Luke how his weekend was because <laughs> I'm thinking he probably has fever dreams of Kevin. Cox now at this point that's true three times down the hole for field of dreams watched it all the way through three consecutive days i said minor rules violation friday's streaming of field of dreams began at 11 o'clock p.m so it kind of cascaded into saturday a little bit well like we were saying we we should have been a little <laughs> bit more strict with the uh with the bet guidelines there we left way too much room for inter- for interpretation like you could just watch a minute of it for seven days but, like yeah i watched it Seven days. To a man of my up. integrity, I've watched it all the way through three times. I watched it after going up to Hagerstown and taking in the sights and the culture there and uh, went and saw Bullet Train, which was a surprisingly good movie. Um, Bullet and Train? I don't, I don't that's the that stupid uh, uh, Brad Pitt one. Uh, yeah, I was about comedy. To say. Yeah. It's, it's surprisingly good. Cool. Was it funny? It was pretty funny. Oh, good. Uh, and uh, Field of Dreams, it annoys me to no end that Shoeless Joe Jackson in real life was a left-handed hitter, but Ray Liotta takes his at-bats from the right side. Um, but you can't pick the actor sometimes, man. The I actor guess picks not. the role, you know. I darn, guess car- darn continuity purposes. Yeah, <laughs> worst. But what you, what have you thought so far? Because I'm sure you know, knowing you, you probably have analyzed it a little bit. Especially if you're just going to watch it a million times, you might as well start to make it a little bit more interesting. Uh, have you noticed any storyline things that you like? Maybe are there certain scenes that you're kind of into? The one that always gets me every time is when the brother makes a big deal about, you know, I'm going to take the farm from you, sell it, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he walks across the field right when they're playing because he can't see the game and they all, you know, try to run after him. I, that always gets, I, I will say in terms of continuity and accuracy and whatever, the two things about that movie that upset me are that Joe Jackson hit left-handed and that it's Eddie Seacott, not Sakoti or anything else because they call him four different names in the movie. It holds up pretty I mean, well. they're ghosts. What they do you want to do? That's true. 
Uh, James Earl Jones, by the way. Not that awesome. we didn't know he wasn't a great actor. And I, again, I'd seen Field of Dreams before. It's like the 15th time I've watched it. Um, not this well, weekend. Yeah, but now, now you're watching it with a little different purpose. So maybe ja- with a little different eye, you know? James Earl Jones, obviously we knew he was a great... You know, but growing up, he was Darth Vader and the dad from The Lion King. Like, his voice work. And the guy at the end of Sandlot. So seeing him act, and we talked about him, you know, Mount or West Virginia natives would have an affinity to his role in Mate One. Mm-hmm. You forget how good of an actor James Earl Jones is. And he's, in my opinion, the best part of that movie. Say, has he started to narrate your dreams yet? That'd be pretty cool. That would I would not say no to that. And I also we we keep ourselves honest. We're men of integrity here at Panhandle Sports Live. I may or may not have hinted on Friday's show that I thought that James Earl Jones was dead. <laughs> James Earl Jones is still alive. I'm still alive. <laughs> I mean, it's excuable. What is he? Ninety one, ninety two. So old. he's he's hanging in there. He's he's doing his thing, and it's crazy because he's still doing voice work for Darth Vader till to this. Yeah, the day. Kenobi series. Cool. He sounds incredible. Yes. Yeah. Simpsons too. Did you know? Did voice work in the Simpsons? I did not know. Wow. That. Yeah, he's done a ton of stuff as I'm looking through it. Uh, of course, The Lion King, things like that. Very cool. I just noticed not too long ago that the uh, this season the up this is going to be the 34th season of The Simpsons. And then they're doing an episode where they're going to acknowledge, like, you know how the Simpsons can, like, predict the future and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. They're actually doing an episode acknowledging that, which, I, awesome, was, which I thought was hilarious. That is pretty neat. And last thing, too, uh, James Earl Jones was in By Dawn's Early Light. Never heard of it before. Came out in the 90s. It looks awesome. Looks, I see fighter jets and that's sunsets. Our, that's our next cool. Somebody like has watch. to watch Dawn's Early Light. Seven days in a row. So listen, a nuclear warhead launched by Soviet insurgents protesting the the waning Cold War destroys the Ukrainian city of Donetsk. Wow, so kind of, kind of like does not age well. No, yeah, that's true. No, it didn't. My goodness, but looks intense. I might have to check that one out by Dawn's early light. Uh, But let's get into sports talk here because we had a little bit of Panhandle football action, and we were watching some of the film uh, during the Spring Mills. Uh, scrimmage, but Washington also scrimmaged as well. But a lot there were supposed to be way more, but I think uh, the weather we had this weekend kind of put a damper on it. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of scrimmages locally. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to cover, but I was able to keep tabs on through Huddle and uh, uh, through other things on social media, specifically with Spring Mills and Washington, who we have a vested interest in, obviously, as teams that could define there being six legitimately great teams in the panhandle, or both could have kind of mediocre or less than mediocre seasons, and then there's only a couple. Um, and we'll have Daniel Woods on from WBOY. They got to see Spring Mills in person. But we were looking at Max Anderson's tape, sophomore mm-hmm. quarterback for them. Threw mm-hmm. a couple of good balls, extended plays, looked active. And then Washington, they've got that old school scheme. It looks like they've changed uh, to kind of a single wing offense. Uh, they've they've gone away from the uh, a different iteration of the wing tee, I guess. It's yeah. a little bit different mm-hmm. than what they ran last year. Uh, they were against Petersburg, who are a double-A powerhouse you should take that what you will, triple A against double A, but I saw some big runs ripped off by Joe Vrobel, um, and they were very, very happy with the results that they had gotten offensively and defensively from that scrimmage. There are a couple of sacks from the defense as well I got to see. So early returns on Spring Mills, by the way, scrimmaged Lewis County and uh, North Marion, who are probably going to be a top six team in double A. They look fine. Washington looks good. or They both look good, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, so early returns on... You know, the two teams that we would probably argue are fifth and sixth in the EPAC, no offense to them because, like we said, being last place in the EPAC is like being last place in the AL East. They both look really good. 
So uh, with Washington, do you think, because of course, I, well, I think the biggest thing about that kind of an offense, especially nowadays in football and more specifically high school football, is that there's no way to prep against it, especially if you don't run it, because you, you, you're never going to be able to run it as well as a team that runs it all the time when you're running it for just a week, especially with your second team guys. So do you think uh, they're running it efficiently enough to where, you know, they are just going to at some point just fully kind of surprise teams and, uh, you know, maybe get that upper hand early in games? Yeah, you'd have to think so. Um, the thing I'll say about the offense, and this is something that uh, Parker, I'm sure, would agree with me as well, is the biggest thing for Washington last year is you've got to have that offense. It has to be three yards to carry, four mm-hmm. yards to carry, whatever. It can't stagnate. It can't go you, backwards with you've that. You've got to keep the clock churning because you're not going to be able to win a game 56 to 53 like we've seen Berkeley Springs do in past or Jefferson do in past. Some of the games that they lost last year, I know Martinsburg is an unfair example. You lose 62 nothing. you lose to Jefferson 47-13. You, those were games where they couldn't move the ball. Yeah. If you can move the ball, you know, some of these other score lines, when they beat Preston 14-13, to it's a great example. Parkview was 21-12. to You know, those lower score, Hedgesville was 20 to nothing. If you can get three yards of carry, keep the clock going, have these long continued drives, and keep the ball out of your opposition's hands, you know, if your opponent scores more than 20 points, you're probably going to lose when you play an offense like that. So it's all about efficiency. So a roundabout way to answer George's question is it looked like that in the scrimmage, but that's the biggest key. Yeah, and with you run an offense like that, the whole purpose of it is to confuse. Confusion is the biggest purpose of that offense. And you've seen this work in the college rings. Georgia Tech, very well known for how they run their offense, very run-oriented and to work in the pass as a surprise. Navy's done it a bunch. Army's done it a bunch with these unique offenses. And then you bring it into the occasion here. If you can run an offense like that, to a level of that extent, you're going to surprise a lot of people when you play if they don't know how you're going to run it. And then you sneak in a pass, they pull in for the run, you bring your d- defensive backs deep in, you bring your linebackers deep into the box. You're going to get confused, and you could surprise some teams. So Washington is a wild card at the end of the day. If they can find ways to confuse teams, they could make a little bit of noise. Uh, and I'm not trying to say that Washington has, you know, smaller guys or not as talented athletes. But when, you know, these smaller schools you see and you said like Navy and things like that, teams that aren't going to have those big recruits in mm-hmm. college, it's easier. Not well, not easier. It's, it's maybe more cost effective to run an offense like that because it's harder to prep against. It's harder. I yeah. mean, there's always things moving around. You can confuse teams easy and you can, you know, use their guys that maybe aren't as talented as the team that they're playing against at, at a way more effective clip. And I think that that is and like I said, I'm not saying that anybody on the Washington team is bad or by any means not as talented as anybody else. But, you know, when you don't have the numbers, maybe like a Martinsburg where they can just go and go and go, it's easier to run an offense like this. Or think about it this way. You put that scheme in at the middle school level where kids are used to doing it growing up, playing that offense, and that's just kind of how your program runs. Bridgeport has as many athletes as any team in the state. They also run an offense from the 1950s, and they have won multiple, multiple, multiple state championships because they put kids in that scheme early, and they grow up playing it, and it's unique to the rest of football. So you're absolutely right. It's a way for teams that maybe think they have lesser talent to succeed, but when you have the talent that Washington has on top of that and you install that scheme – you know, Bridgeport has proven that that can be successful um, at the AA and now AAA level. So it, it makes sense in that regard to be different. That was something that Coach Simpson had said. We've got to be different mm-hmm. out here. You know, we're not Martinsburg and Jefferson. We're different, and we're going to win games our own way. Well, I think if there's anybody that is going to uh, surprise people, I think it's going to be Washington this year, of course, coming in at the bottom of our EPAC uh, Panhandle Sports Live poll that you can find over on our Twitter page at EP News Network. Go ahead and tweet us if you want to join the conversation. But we were watching some film from the Spring Mills uh, scrimmage over the weekend. And so th- 
what is it about these quarterbacks that <laughs> I feel like the the stereotypical quarterback used to be big, tall, not that mobile, but able to take a hit and stand in the pocket. Now they're not as tall, but way more athletic, thicker. They can still take a hit, but that's mainly when they're out uh, on the run. And Spring Mo's quarterback fits that to a T, and he can sling the ball a little bit too. Yeah, Max Anderson threw a couple of good balls there. He, he fitted into some tight windows. There was one slant in the highlights that we saw where he put it right where it needed to be. A lot of screen stuff. Um, what's important about Spring Mills is they're replacing their entire offensive line. So when you have a mobile quarterback that uh, can extend plays and get out of a collapsed pocket and do things with his legs, that's incredibly key. Now, some of the detriments of the sophomore, it looked like he was more keen to run, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more often than he should, maybe could have stayed in the pocket a little bit longer in some situations or kept his eyes downfield. But a mobile quarterback working with a rebuilding offensive line, now it's an agile offensive line because half the plays we saw were set up design screens. And it looked to me like those were well-blocked plays. But Anderson's got the ability to throw the ball 20, 30 yards downfield. He's got Keon Mills, one of the best complete playmakers in the state to do it with. Um, and it's just all signs point to him being a very good scheme fit and what that team's really sophomore and freshman heavy. Whether or not they're going to compete this year, which we think they could, mm-hmm. they're going to be very, very good next year and the year after. And the only thing that I saw in the, I mean, what, two, two and a half minutes, I think we watched the film before uh, we went live here, was that... I mean, he's listed as 5'11-ish, right? I'm sure that could go either way, but uh, 5'11". And when you start to get with programs around here, when their their line starts to get better and better developed, that means those guys are getting bigger and taller, right? So you, you would like to have a quarterback that is as tall, if not maybe a little taller than his line. Now with Max, it seems that he is not. And then the one uh, play where it looked like he got a little frazzled uh, trying to pass the ball was when it looked like he definitely got lost behind his lineman and maybe lost where his read was, lost his receiver. And then, next thing you do is you're just going to run. And that can turn into a little bit of a habit. So do you think, uh, Parker, maybe being a little bit on the uh, shorter side, 5'11", of course, not that short anyways, but in the football sense, uh, do you think that could be a little bit of a... Uh, could that could that cause bad tendencies, I guess, with him maybe wanting to get out of his protection and run a lot more? Well, it's definitely possible. You've seen quarterbacks get into a little bit of a distress if behind poor offensive lines and they have to scramble around a lot. But it's worked for guys, shorter guys, quarterbacks at the pro levels like Drew Brees and Russell Wilson. These guys have had no problem with their height. And Kyler Murray's another example. He's one of those shorter quarterbacks we've seen make it to a pro level, and he's got a massive contract. So I think it's definitely possible. You just got to work your way in there. Some things I noticed while looking at Anderson's tape – He's a good athlete for sure, can move around a lot, and he might have to with a fully rebuilding offensive line. He may have to use his legs a little bit more than maybe warranted for the Spring Mills offense. And the only nitpick I had when I was looking at it is, and all young quarterbacks have this, you got to remember he's only a sophomore, maybe staring down his first read a little too much. And that's just something you build over time. You just got to look at your check downs, look to your running backs out of the backfield. And that's how you build your way into make yourself into a good quarterback. He has all the tools. He's a fantastic prospect, I think, and someone who really has college potential if he keeps building and keeps working on everything. But he's a great athlete. I think there's a lot of potential. And Spring Mills is yet again another sleeper team we've talked about. If they can piece it together, they're young, they're hungry, and they might surprise a few teams and make their way into a playoff spot if all things click the correct way for the Cardinals. Well, time will tell, and it's right around the corner of football season, so uh, not that long to wait to see if time will tell. But stick around. We're going to start talking a little preseason football because Steelers played over the weekend, and goodness, they looked way better than I was ever expecting them uh, to look coming into the season. So we'll talk about that and more here on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP News Network. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Before we get into uh, football talk, they want to get into a little baseball real quick. Because the Orioles, well, they lost last night four to one. But in more important news, they were three outs away from getting perfect gamed uh, by Drew Rasmussen last night. So if they get perfect gamed last night, of course, well, they lose four to one. So I mean, they were able to get a little bit of a run going there. But um, if they get perfect game last night, does that completely shut down all momentum they've built in the last like two months and just put them right back into last place in the East? I definitely think it would kind of give you a little stick in the gut there. Like, oh gosh, we just got perfect gamed. That's that's pretty rough, but. I don't think it would absolutely kill him. It would it would obviously be demoralizing, like, wow, we couldn't do anything against this guy. But they're fine. I don't have any worries about it. They did good. Shout out to Jorge Mateo for breaking that up, by the way. But, yeah, I don't think it's too much to worry about. Yeah, it, it stinks. You couldn't pull out one against Tampa last night again. This is a very, very close American League wildcard race. And this series against Tampa is a very important one because – this is 3v4 in the American League East and might be for the last wild card spot. And there was a clip I saw last night. There was a, maybe a controversial call during the game in Tampa. People were getting upset. And the, the caption on it was like, this is a very, this is like a playoff implication series. And people were getting really upset about it. But I, I mean, that's just going to be how Baltimore is going to have to play. They got to find a way to get these wins against teams that are higher up in division rankings right now, higher up in the wild card rankings to get themselves in the wild card for right now. Cause I believe right now they're just outside. Correct. Game and a half game and a half out. There you go. And that was the thing you lose to more importantly than the perfect game is you lost two out of three in that series to the team that's now ahead of you in the wild card. So there's head to head wins. You're now a game and a half back. The twins are a half game behind you as are the white Sox. So you gave up a lot of ground, excuse me, ground in that series. Um, uh, and obviously it would have been, uh, a huge blow to morale to get perfect gamed, but more importantly, they lose two out of three uh, now as they begin a series against Toronto. Yeah, like I was saying, uh, they go into Canada coming up here uh, the next three days. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess keep on the lookout for that. But let's talk football because there was some preseason action, of course, this weekend. The Steelers, they win 32-25 to over the Seahawks. Kenny Pickett played a lot of the game. Uh, there was a lot of questions around you know, him and Trubisky if they were battling in uh, the preseason um, in the training camp uh Whatever. They were battling, right? And that there were some question marks around their receivers as well. But I think all of those questions and some particularly around Kenny Pickett uh, were answered over the weekend. I think so, too. And another question that I'd like to ask Daniel Woods when he comes up here in a second, because he might be the world's biggest Kenny Pickett hater. He's a huge (laughs) Steelers fan. So I'm curious to see how he digests uh, that performance. A lot of takeaways from that game, to be honest with you. Geno Smith and Drew Locke looked to be the exact same quarterback, except Locke had the two touchdowns in that game, uh, and Geno Smith didn't throw any. I think all three Steeler quarterbacks showed why they could be the starter for that team. Kenny Pickett was efficient, was able to extend plays better, had the two touchdowns. It was it was real. It was like watching a better version of last year's Roethlisberger. Rudolph continues to be probably the most accurate and knowledgeable of this offense. And then Mitch Trubisky's play action ability and ability to extend plays. I think also all three throw for a touchdown. Kenny Pickett throws for multiple touchdowns. It was great to see George Pickens as well, who, in my opinion, I, I'm, 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 I don't know what the line is for him to be this year's offensive rookie of the year, but it's, it, it's, it's trending that way because he just looks to me to be the next in a long line of the Claypool, Antonio Brown, whatever. Steelers draft a wide receiver and he turns out to be a star. Um, 
I liked, again, everything I saw from Kenny Pickett. I still think it's Trubisky's team, but Pickett has proved that he could try to win that job before the first snap of the regular season. I'll say this really quickly. It's an annoying talk radio take. I apologize. But Kenny Pickett doesn't seem to me to be the kind of guy. He doesn't have Mahomes' arm. He doesn't have Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson's legs. He's not a guy in practice that just really blows you away. He's a gamer. Mm-hmm. You know, he's somebody that – and he's also not – the greatest football mind but he's somebody that's won a lot of big games has played a lot of games he's experienced with all he did at Pitt and I just think that you put him in a game situation and he thrives as opposed to him just kind of being pedestrian in practice so I would put heavy money on him taking significant snaps for the Steelers this year yeah and I said this when Kenny Pickett got drafted by the Steelers this past spring I said if he doesn't start week one, I feel like that's a that's not a good draft pick because I feel like out of all the quarterbacks that were coming out of this draft, Kenny Pickett was the only one I think I could start day one just because he's high floor, maybe lower ceiling as Kenny Pickett from what I saw out of him. He's got tools, but he's not going to blow you away. He's in the mold of a guy like a Kirk Cousins, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the best guy I compared him to coming out. But he showed a lot of good flashes in this preseason game. Throwing two touchdowns is great. And then it's really a three-team race right now. I've heard people say Pickett's QB3 right now. They're going to want to sit him. They're going to play Trubisky. I've heard people talk about Rudolph. It's it's a coin flip right now for the Steelers team. And I'm not thinking they're wanting to go into a long rebuild at all with Roethlisberger gone. They're wanting to compete right now. And I think they got a decent chance to. I mean, they got great defensive weapons. they got Minka Fitzpatrick. They've got TJ Watt. you got Cam Hayward. you got a lot of great guys on that Steelers defense. And moving things over to the Seattle side, Still looking like it's going to be these two guys battling it out right now. I don't think there's really a guy that's really stood out. But as as painful as it is to say, because I love Geno Smith, I feel like Drew Locke's probably going to be the guy starting week one for Seattle just because he's a younger guy. I feel like they want to see what they have in Drew Locke this season. If he proves something, maybe they don't go quarterback in next year's draft class. But signs are pointing more than likely Seattle's trying to – I mean, the NFC West is maybe the best division in football. They don't see themselves competing right now, I think maybe get you a guy like a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud come next year's draft. And you did pick out George Pickens. Dude dude was a freak at Georgia. I loved George Pickens a lot. He just had a, a, some off-the-field concerns, an injury concern last year. And he's got some strong potential, I think, to go win that Offensive Rookie of the Year award. We'll just have to see who else breaks out during early season. The Commanders were also in action, losing 23-21 to the Panthers. Any takes from that one? I did not watch that one. Sam Howell be. looked really good in that game, actually. He he looked solid. He had some really good outings. I think Washington was down pretty early in that game, and then Sam Howell came in, and he did really good. And actually brought him back up, I think, in that game. So Sam Howell looked very good in the outing, and then Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold both took snaps for Carolina in this game. It looks like it's Baker's job to lose, I think, right now which I think that's the case. I, I'm not a believer in Sam Darnold. I, I think he had his chance last year to prove that he, he just was not cursed by the Jets. But I, I just think right now it's 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 Baker's job to lose. And for the Washington side, Carson Wentz, he was 10 for 13 with 74 yards, and Howell did have a nice outing with 9 of 16 for 145 yards and leading them to getting the lead there at some point. But again, I again I think it's Mayfield and Carolina, and I think it's Wentz and Washington. You're not going to see much of a change up there. Yeah, Matt Corral kind of unfortunately looks like Will Greer part two for the Panthers. He was one of nine in this game. Uh, Wentz looks fine. I was excited to see David Mayo uh, lead the team in tackles for Washington. Antonio Gibson, who I thought was going to be just fine, he put on the weight in the offseason, talked about how great he was. Four carries, two yards, and he fumbled. Uh, <laughs> so I'm concerned with the state of Washington's backfield. 
Well, what about uh, the Jets and Zach Wilson? That was a big uh, storyline, too. At first, everybody thought it was an ACL and that he was done and that everybody was you know, kind of losing it, but it came out uh, that it wasn't quite as serious. Yeah, they dodged a bullet in that one um, because they've got so many young weapons that they want Zach Wilson to be a part of with Brees Hall, who didn't necessarily look great uh, in that game. Elijah Moore, people love a lot. Trayvon Wesco, by the way, another Mountaineer shout, uh, caught a pass in this game. Garrett Wilson, who they brought in, had a couple of catches. You know, the Jets aren't going to be very good this year. No offense to our Jets fans, but you want Wilson there for development purposes. You got better basically at every position on the field. Um, so you want this team to be a 6-1 team. You want Zach Wilson to take that step, you know, and have a, a good 3,500-yard season, throw for 25 touchdowns, maybe 15 picks, get a little crazy with it, extend plays with his legs, and develop alongside these weapons. So you're right. They thought it was going to be an ACL tear. It wasn't. He uh, has a bone bruise and a partially torn meniscus. So they're going to patch that up, and he should be back by the regular season. Did you guys see the injury? I was did. It, well, I, I saw it once. Was it a practice? Was it? At, it wasn't a practice, was it? No, it was in the game. It was yeah, in the game. game. I saw. I, I saw it once, and that was before they had said he might have torn his ACL. So it didn't look like much at the right. time, but you never know. Yeah, and it was it was scary there for the start. I, I heard rumors going around Friday night that it might have been an ACL tear from the way it looked like he was heading towards the sideline, kind of like tripped up and fell down. I saw him hobbling there. I, I was a little worried about it, honestly. But, yeah, a lot of people are expecting some, a step up from Zach Wilson last year. Not not the greatest rookie season, obviously. And he battled some injuries last year. So durability, it was a question with Zach Wilson coming out of BYU last year. And he'd been banged up. He had that one big year his last year at BYU. And now he goes number two overall. But he's he's got to prove something, I think, this season. Because he's got pieces from now. He's got a guy in Brees Hall who was a really good running back out of Iowa State. He's He's got weapons now. He's got Garrett Wilson. He's got Elijah Moore. He's got guys who he can get the ball to. The offensive line, granted, Mekhi Becton went down this past offseason. They bring in Dwayne Brown, so he's going to play right tackle for him. And another Mountaineer shout for you on the Eagles side. Uh, Kazir White, he made his way over yep. that way from Los Angeles last season. He had a, a tackle and a pick in the game. So shout out to Kazir White, another Mountaineer great. I'll tell you, I was not happy to see how well the Steelers looked in preseason as a Ravens fan. I was saying, I was hoping this was going to be a down year, a super down year, and then go figure. Uh, it looks like they retooled a little bit, but I'm sure it's exciting for a vast majority of the folks around here. So I guess we got to talk about it. But stick around. Coming up after the break, we'll be speaking with Daniel Woods from WBOY out in North uh, Central West Virginia, uh, talking about Spring Mills, and of course, uh, the interesting thing is that it seems like Martinsburg in the last couple of years. Every time they go to Super 6, they're facing a team from North Central West Virginia. So we'll get a little bit of insight on how those teams are looking again from Danny Woods at WBOY. After the break here on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Sports Live, your home for sports in the Panhandle. Here's Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. And joining us on the line from WBOY, it's Daniel Woods. Daniel, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, of course. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So uh, you're out in the north central part of West Virginia, where it seems like all of our teams usually have to end up beating to either win a state championship or get uh, further on in the playoffs. So before we start talking about those teams, have you been able to check out any of the teams over here in the Panhandle yet? Uh, I caught one back on Saturday at the the Big Ten Gridorama, uh, which was hosted at North Marion High School uh, here. Spring Mills uh, came over and was competing with some of our local teams on Saturday, and I got to check some of that out. So what would you think? 
I'll tell you what, they look fast. That's the thing that jumped off the page first. I saw them uh, against Lewis County, who's uh, a double-A school uh, over here in the north-central part of the state. And Lewis has had a couple down years, but they're hopeful for this season. And that's the thing that jumped off first. Spring Mills looks very fast. I was impressed with how their defense moved towards the ball. Uh, and then once, once they got things going on offense, they had a couple of options in the backfield that I thought uh, could certainly be something this year, it looks like. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with you there. And we had that conversation yesterday talking about Keon Mills in the backfield, Daniel. Uh, we were talking about Max Anderson's tape, um, but uh, the running backs as well, specifically Mills we talked about, and, and another couple of faces in there. Uh, Eaton, I believe, is the other starting running back's name. So it seems as though it's going to be able to be a decent, uh, balanced attack for Spring Mills on that side of the ball. I think so. Uh, they were pretty pretty basic with what they were letting Anderson do uh, in the passing game. Obviously, you don't want to show a whole lot in your first scrimmage, but he looked sharp when they were giving him opportunities. He threw the ball over the middle of the field a couple times, which uh, looked good, looked like he was processing things well. And then I looked at that, that group of running backs, and they were rotating guys in and out, but they all ran hard. And the one thing about that Lewis County team is it's extremely physical. They've got a a couple of linebackers that will really come down and hit you, and none of those guys from Spring Mills were backing down from that. And I think that that was a good test for them in terms of their offensive line. Like you mentioned, Lewis County, a team with tremendous size up front, uh, and Spring Mills replacing a lot of pieces on their offensive line. We were having a conversation yesterday, and you said, well, their offensive line looks big, and it's an offensive line predominantly of underclassmen. So early returns, you'd have to say, on what is probably the biggest pivot point for this team, their offensive line looks relatively decent this early in the season? I would say so. I, I won't say they were perfect in the couple of drives that I got to see, but uh, it was a, a, a big group, and they were athletic off the ball. That's the thing. They were pushing down the field pretty well, and you had some of those offensive linemen getting to the second level uh, and, and getting some hands on, on those Lewis County linebackers I was talking about. Uh, so I really liked the way they did move down the field as, as drives progressed. Uh, and even inside the 10, uh, once, once they were getting close to the goal line, and it was a lot of inside run for Spring Mills, those guys were still pushing forward and getting to that second level as they were working their way down closer to the goal line. Now, Daniel, you did mention the uh, speed on that Spring Mill side, and I definitely saw that out of Max Anderson in the tape I saw. One thing that did concern me, though, from the tape I watched was his innate ability to stare down his first read. That concerned me a little bit when I was looking at him. Other than that, I loved his tape. Has that improved any from what you saw in that camp and running through that of the scrimmages? Because that's something that's going to come up in the season. If that's a problem, defenses are going to take advantage of that. Yeah, the stuff they were they were working him in with uh, was was a lot of quick reads, a lot of uh, just kind of grip it and rip it type throws, some slants over the middle, uh, some, some screen game. Like I said, uh, talking to the coaches on Saturday, first scrimmage of the year, they don't want to show a ton of what they've got installed so far. Uh, so uh, it was a lot of basic stuff, but he looked good doing the basic stuff. Uh, is what I'll say. And it certainly watching him was was impressive compared to some of the other quarterback play that I saw uh, that day. There's a, a couple of quarterbacks over here in, in this area, some younger guys that I think are going to turn a corner uh, pretty soon. But 
Uh, for a guy as young as Anderson, he was one of the better quarterbacks that I saw on the day. Yeah, we're speaking with Daniel Woods from WBOI. Let's start talking about some of those teams out that way because, uh, like I said, it seems like it's either you know a panhandle team and a North Central West Virginia team playing for a state championship of any given sport, or you know late in the playoffs. So is it uh, is the hierarchy kind of shaking out like it normally does out there, or some uh, teams maybe coming up that are going to surprise some people? I think early returns through the first couple of weeks are the teams that you would expect to be there are going to be there. Uh, I saw Fairmont Senior in practice on Thursday, saw them at the, the Gridorama on Saturday, and uh, they, they look exactly like what you'd expect them to be. As long as the holes they need to fill on the offensive line, which I think they need to replace two starters, uh, come together, they, they should be right back competing for a spot on the island this year. Uh, I haven't gotten a chance to get out and see Bridgeport yet. Uh, but things are so plug-and-play uh, for them year in and year out that I can't expect it'll be anything different. Um, John Kelly and the Hawks at university, uh, when I saw them over the summer, uh, looked like they were getting ready to, to just step right back into their typical role uh, as, as a team in the top half of AAA. And then I think Morgantown has a chance to turn a corner this year uh, with Sean Beiser. They got back to the playoffs last year for the first time in his tenure, and they have a big senior class that, when I've talked to those guys, uh, is really motivated to leave this program better than they found it. And I think that's something that could happen this year with the Mohegans. And they have a huge game week one, too, going all the way down to Charleston, right? Yeah, they go to South Charleston, which uh, second year in a row that they open with South Charleston. The Black Eagles came up to Morgantown last year, and that was a really close game. That uh, I think people forget how well – those teams played with each other because they kind of went in two different directions as the season went on. Uh, but that's, that's a big one early. It's, it's for both teams, I would say, because like I said, Morgantown's trying to turn a corner here with Sean Beiser. And then you've got a South Charleston program with a first year head coach uh, in Carl Lee that obviously is a, a pretty famous name in, in football around the state of West Virginia and is someone uh, that NFL fans across the country will, will remember uh, that's taking over that South Charleston program as a first-year head coach. Uh, and I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup that may uh, show us some things uh, that have some, some bigger impact across AAA as the year goes on. Uh, well, Daniel's obviously building himself a brand out there in North Central West Virginia when it comes to high school sports. But I think kind of on the side, Daniel, you may or may not be building your brand as the world's biggest Kenny Pickett hater. Uh, I did want to ask, since we hey, have you on the no, show. No, let's not. <laughs> we don't need to go that far. Hey, you looked good we over the weekend. You know, I, I we were having the conversation. We came on and sat down, and I wasn't going to ask you this, but we all agreed as a group that Kenny Pickett looked phenomenal in the scrimmage. Uh, and you're the only person that I think on the face of the earth that did not have positive things to say about his performance. Hey, I, 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 I didn't get watch the I didn't get to watch the game. I was <laughs> I was working that night. I didn't get to watch the game. What I said, what I said was by scouting the box score, he had by far the lowest yards per attempt on the team which of, of the three quarterbacks that played, which to me tells me that Matt Canada still got the kid gloves on him, even if he's throwing the ball against guys that are probably going to be cut in a couple weeks. And he's a rookie quarterback. That's perfectly fine. I'd like to see him be successful. Uh, but based on the the things that I saw when, when we were preparing for the, the draft show at our, our mutual previous place of employment – uh, there were some red flags that popped up, and and judging by what I have gone back and now seen from what he did on Saturday, there wasn't a lot 
that he was asked to do that made me any less worried about those red flags. Well, yeah, they got the kid gloves on him, Stokes. You don't want your uh, first-round pick to go out and <laughs> ball out more than your guy that you just spent a billion dollars on to bring him over uh, to be your starting quarterback. I mean, that's, that's, that's not an unfair assessment, and I understand that a guy like Pickett, you're going to bring him along a little slowly. I thought, again, going back and seeing what I've seen, Mitch Trubisky looked good. I thought Mason Rudolph made some nice throws as well, particularly the touchdown pass to George Pickens. I think uh, that, that Rudolph's really probably not a, a guy that I'm looking at for the long term. I don't think anybody that, that is, a, is a Steelers fan outside of a, a handful of people are probably looking at Rudolph long term. Uh, but I thought all three quarterbacks did good things. Now, having gone back and been able to watch it, I think Pickett was impressive. I think the energy that he brought in the second half of that game was good. I think what he was asked to do, he did well. Uh, And I'm excited to see what the next progression is for him because for better or for worse, the Steelers spent a first-round pick on him. And that's that's something that I'm going to have to see out. And if if I want the Pittsburgh Steelers to be successful, I'm going to have to see Kenny Pickett be successful, I feel like. Well, Daniel, I guess one more question before we get you out of here, airing all the dirty laundry, the conversations that we have before we come on the air. As a Lovely. fellow WVU alum, uh, this year's Fall Fest lineup came out. Polo G, Dustin Lynch, Dirty Heads, Tay Money. I thought the Fall Fests that I had were bad. Uh, that is an institution that just this seems to be brutal. declining over time. This is it's brutal, man. <laughs> it's, it's just terrifically brutal. Um I'm I'm having a hard time coming around on this one. I mean, I came in in 2019, had one fall fest that I did not attend because it was Gucci Mane and two guys I'd never heard of. So uh, I had to work that night and didn't really want to drive through Morgantown traffic to get over to the rec fields to, to maybe see Gucci Mane and then a couple of guys that I'd never heard of. So... I didn't go that year, and then the world ended. Uh, so no, no, uh, no fall fest the next two years. Then I graduated, and uh, now I'm like I was excited for like the the people that I went to WVU with that hadn't had a fall fest. But like, hey, they're bringing fall fest back. You're gonna get this experience. It's gonna be great. And then it's Polo G who <laughs> fine Polo. I, 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 I listen to Polo G from time to time. He's, he's on a couple of playlists that I have on my Spotify. Uh, but you move on from that, and it's over. It's a one for four trip for me at best. <laughs> I would tell you, you guys. I mean, it is a, you guys it, missed it out. Is one for four with a single. It is. <laughs> it is a. I don't know, man. It's a Kevin Newman kind of day. Say you young, <laughs> you youngins missed out from like 2012 to 2015 was like the golden years. Kendrick, Schoolboy Q, Kid Cudi, I think was there once. I mean, it was it was incredible from about 2012 to 2015. So I, at least, and it was still at the Mountain Layer. So I mean, it was right in the center of town. You didn't have to worry about having to get all the way out uh, to Towers and stuff like that. So it was perfect. But again, speaking with Daniel Woods from WBOY, unfortunately we got to let you go. But thank you for joining us this morning. Of course, thanks for having me once again. Thanks, fam. Again, Daniel Jones from WBOY talking uh, about the Spring Mill scrimmage over the weekend. Of course, a little North Central West Virginia football because that uh, it seems like it's either the Panhandle or North Central where state championships, especially in football, seem to run through. So I appreciate Daniel for joining us this morning. And stick around. We'll be back at Parker's Picks. Uh, and we're going to talk, well, a little bit more sports, I guess, here on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Join the conversation on Twitter at EP News Network.
Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. If you missed it, for the break, we were speaking with Daniel Woods of WBOY uh, out in North Central West Virginia talking about the uh, North Marion scrimmage that Spring Mills was in, also about a little bit more uh, North Central football. So go check that out. Well, you can check it out if you want a little bit later on today on our Panhandle Live Facebook and Spotify page. But let's get right into it, Parker. Uh, how'd you do over the weekend and what are your picks looking like on this uh, Monday? We're getting into that weird couple of weeks here of the, of the year where there's really not a ton of uh, you know super important sports going on, but we're getting close to where it is just important betting all year or well every day really every week yeah we're deep into the second half of the mlb season right now so a lot of these games are getting in tight and we're just kind of waiting for football to start Mm -hmm. to see when those slates are going to start dropping and everything again if you choose do you want to you can bet on preseason football if you want i'm staying away from that one but if you're bold go for it but i'm going for well for friday's slate i gave you your lock of the day was going to be the dodgers over the royals that one did hit thankfully if you also used padres over the nationals and astros over the athletics all three of those paid out for you if you use those three now going into today's slate looking at it there was a matchup i thought that was pretty interesting and this might be my first ever spread lock of the day here on parker's picks so i'm going with the mariners plus one and a half against the angels and looking at it now, I think the line actually changed. So let me change that to money line because they did have one and a half this morning. Now it's down to they flipped them. So we're going to go with money line now for the Mariners over the Angels. I like that one. The other two I like for today include I'm liking the Astros over the White Sox today. I think that's a good shout. And lastly, for your picks for today, I'm going to go with the Phillies over the Reds. I like those three for today. Lock of the day, once again, I'm going to go Mariners over the Angels on the money line. And it hurts with Shohei pitching in this one, but uh, the Angels are just a mess right now. You can't do anything with them. Yeah, free uh, Shohei and, well, can't really, free Trout. He's Trout stuck. did it to himself. Yeah, so free Shohei for sure. He's too young. He's too young to just be stuck in L.A. on the Angels just – uh, playing unbelievable record-breaking baseball, and nobody cares about it because he's on the Angels. But speaking of uh, baseball, we only have a few minutes here. Uh, Fernando Tatis, he gets popped for PEDs, 80 games mm-hmm. for PEDs. Now, apparently this was for a ringworm thing, but, no. yeah. uh, I mean, in sports anymore, you hear PEDs, everybody immediately just your cancels you out. So uh, how big of a deal is this for not just the Padres because now that that Soto uh, trade looks a little bit more interesting especially if they would have known a little bit beforehand that this was going to happen how's it look for the Padres how's this look for Tatis Jr. I just don't understand why Tatis has just turned into this habitual liar because he lied for a month about the motorcycle accident said he had nothing to do with that 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 was fake news and then it turned out to be true and then he said that he took these steroids for ringworm that's not true. The steroids that he took have nothing to do with ringworm. So I don't understand why he keeps digging himself into these holes. You got popped. You're hurt as well. Just sit on the suspension and use it as a long recovery period. You kick this season down the drain and you move on. I don't understand why he just continues. Because Fernando Tatis, we were talking about, he's one of the most likable young sparks in baseball mm-hmm. right now. Him and Otani out there as well. But he keeps doing things to shoot himself in the foot. And I do not understand why he can't just don't. He got caught. He's not going to not get suspended for 80 games. Say, hey, all right, my bad. Move on. I don't understand why it has to come down to just constant lying. Yeah, and we've talked about it beforehand, too. We've talked about the youth movement in baseball. I've loved following the youth movement. I feel like it's brought a lot of new fans to baseball. These young guys like Soto, Tatis. Wander Franco, and you just keep naming them, guys like Adley Rutschman, like big young stars are coming up through baseball right now that people are really grabbing a hold of 
and really loving the game. Jazz Chisholm's another guy too. People really love Jazz. But yeah, just seeing all this happen to Fernando in the span of a year with the motorcycle accident, him being out for um, almost half the season now with that wrist injury and getting up to rehab, now this happens. And it seems like the Padres organization a little bit with that Soto trade. I feel it. I mentioned it before when the trade happened. I feel like this is a kick in the rear to Tati saying, hey, get your act together or else this is going to be the guy we're going to build our franchise around and it's not going to be you. It, it, well, it's tough when it's, I mean, PEDs, right? It's tough when it's steroids because then yeah. there's really no uh, coming back from that. And it's such a far and harsh drop immediately once it comes out, once you have PEDs on you uh, like that. Um, it's tough for it to have in such a young player. But real quick, we only have a few seconds here, Luke. Uh, more likely, pull hole 700, Judge 61. Judge 61, unfortunately. I'm rooting mm. for Albert, though. We're all rooting for Albert. That was a pretty big home run he hit uh, too. over the weekend. Me too. 688. Say the one that went off uh, the Big Mac sign. He, he needs 11. Judge needs 15, I think. It's more likely for Judge. But we're all rooting for Albert. Yeah, of course. You got you to gotta root for Albert. But if you missed any of the show today, listen back to it a little bit later on over on our Panhandle uh, News Network Facebook page. But for Luke, for Parker, I'm Jordan. It's been Panhandle Sports Live. Panhandle Live is next. We'll talk to you tomorrow. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here, too.